right. Hey, it's great to see you. Great to be with you. Um, it's always a joy to be here, and I'm, I'm the substitute teacher. So uh, it's always uh, it's an honor to, uh, and, and, and it's great to know that your leadership team is away and, and planning out, out the future, and, and um, that's you be praying for them as they're doing that. I'll tell you one thing I pray for you guys every night, and I wake up in the middle of the night every night, and I have a little prayer list and on it is, is for Desert City. You're, you're getting such a, a great foothold in the community, like the trunk or treat and all that kind of thing. That, that foothold is so important in this area, and I pray that you'll get a footprint in the community, that there'll be, in this place where, the, where property is not cheap and there's not a lot of available space and that, that churches that have come and gone, but that you will get a foothold and a footprint to really continue to make it. I think God has great, great plans for this church in this community, in the North Phoenix area especially. And um, so if you, if you ever wake up in the middle of the night, join me in that prayer. I think, I think God's going to do it. I think he's going to do something. You've been on a series, starting the series, if you have your journals and are following along, called Bless This Mess which is um, kind of dealing with homes and families and marriage and all that kind of thing. And, and I, I was going through that, and Jared was telling me about what, where you're at. And I, I track along with the journal because we do small group with the group here, the group in the middle here, the most lovely spiritual people in the whole church right here. Um, but I, I said, Jared, bless this mess. I mean, that's kind of harsh. I mean, I, I know what you're talking about homes, but is there some kind of a smoother thing than mess, bless this mess. And uh, I've sp spoken like a grandparent, like home, family, kids, it's easy. Why are you having a mess? We, you know. And then since, since Friday, we've been, we've been watching the grandchildren. <laughs> and, uh, and by we, I mean Lori more than me. But, uh, and I'm starting to, to understand that mess a little bit more. I mean, you just just normal parenting and normal families and homes are like it's crazy. It's just people shouldn't live this way. It's it's not. I don't remember that. My my brain has gone completely blank from those days. But we had to, on Saturday morning we had to get Micah to soccer game and not only soccer game but pictures before the game. And so we're trying to find everything you need to find. You got to have a special ball for, or special bag for his ball, and you got to get all the different treats. And, and Lila just, you know, she's going around and hopping around on one leg. And you got all, Ezra, he's ready to set the place on fire. We, all, we get everybody loaded up. The van doesn't start, but we finally get the thing started. And I get the thing, and I'm trying to find a parking space. You get the parking space out there, and you get, they just take off running. And every, everybody you look at in the park, and there's like 10 million of them, everybody in the park. Half of them are predators. You can just tell by looking at them. You're just going. They're going to. They're going to get kidnapped, and they're going to. And oh, don't don't watch. Don't touch anybody or anything. Don't. And and we're we're through the thing. We get the photos, and it's on the other end of the park. And we finally settled down and got back into the place. And and uh, Mike goes out. And he's playing a game of his life, uh, better than I've ever seen him play. And he, and he, he takes. He has a little break. He comes up and he goes. I need some water. And Lori and I look at each other like. Water, yeah, that would probably have been a good thing to bring. Water. Why didn't we think of that? It's a desert. It's 180 degrees. Why would and and then every one of them is thirsty. All the water, and we we have no water. And we have everything else. Have a spare tire. All, no water. And so they're starting to to just <laughs> go to people and 
and beg. And, <laughs> and they're, they're getting water and people are pouring it without their cup touching their lips, you know, on that. I'm, I'm just looking down there going, oh, oh man. And, and finally, a, a stranger offers Mike a, a thing of water. Thank goodness. And we went from don't get in near anybody, no strangers, they're all predators, be careful, to hey, how about that stranger over there? They might have some water. That, you know, that, that guy with that long overcoat and the ski mask by the white van, yeah, it's probably really good water. Go try them. You know, by Saturday night, when it was all over last night, I hit, I hit the pillow and just said, God, bless this mess. You can somehow bless this mess. Just normal parenting in normal homes, it, it, it's not easy. That's For certain, it's not even easy as grandparents. And you take some of the other stresses... I, I don't think it's any easier now. I think it's probably, if anything, more difficult to, to parent and to have a home. Um, the trials, the temptations, the obstacles, you know, um, it, it just, blended families, as, as much as a blessing of a blended family can be, that's not without challenges that, that come with that. Single parenting, where one, one single parent is, it has to be a single income and carry the load for the whole family, be mom and dad. I mean, you look and you go, wow. It is difficult. And so this series is, is so important because it goes through the Beatitudes, which speak to blessings in our lives. And whether it's in our homes, our family, or individual, if you're not married or if you don't have a, have a bunch of children, it, it can go to all relationships, it can go to who you are. But that word bless is a great word, but it's probably not a word that you just naturally connect with family and homes in our culture today because of all the things out there. But it's so important because what's the opposite of bless? You know, if I said, how many of you want to have your home and your family and your marriage blessed? I think most of you would raise your hand. It's like, no, I'd, I'd rather be cursed. You know, whatever. I'd rather just live in the mess. We would all love blessing. And so Matthew 5, 6, Jesus gives this little beatitude that um, I think you ought to put it to memory if you can because it, it is, is so key. It just says, blessed are those, are they, are you, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you'll be filled. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. So hunger is a, is a key spiritual aspect here. Hunger is one of those characteristics. If you go through the eight Beatitudes, which I don't believe we're going through all eight of them, but you go through the Beatitudes, that's one characteristic for being filled and for having a life that's blessed in a home that's blessed. Hunger. You ever, you ever go to the refrigerator and you know you're hungry and you open the door and you just look at it? And you, you know you're hungry, but you're not really certain what you're hungry for and you just stare into it. Part of it in Phoenix, it just feels good to have the cold air coming on you, but you just, you just look. You're hungry, but you don't really know what you want. Spiritually, we're that way sometimes, or in our life, we're that way. We're hungry, but we don't really know what we're hungry for. And if I said, I'll tell you what, what you need to eat. i tell you what you need to fill up on. It'll fill you up to the righteousness, and you'll go, Okay, but I don't even know what that is. I mean, what in the world is righteousness? If you're supposed to hunger after it, if you're supposed to chase after it, pursue it with all you have, what in the world is righteousness? 
It's a big word. It's a word that's used over and over and over again in the Bible. For instance, the Bible tells us that God is righteous, that the word of God is righteous, that God founded his kingdom on righteousness. God loves righteousness. God rewards righteousness, according to the Bible. Noah was a righteous man. Abraham was a righteous man, the Bible says. And we all know the righteous brothers, right? <laughs> Tell you how old you are, at least. Um, the Bible says one day the Lord will judge the world in righteousness. The Bible says God made a covenant with Israel, which is righteousness. One of the most famous Psalms, Psalm 23, he leads us in paths of righteousness. It's used over and over and over again. I went to a theological dictionary one time a while back. There are 27 pages that deal with the definition of righteousness. 27 pages. So in the rest of our time, I'm just going to read you those 27 pages and hope you get it. No. I, I boiled it down to two thoughts, two, two bullet points. It may not be the overarching understanding of righteousness, but if you can hang on to these two things, I think you get an idea of what we're, to, what we're to hunger after and thirst for. The first one is this. It's about relationship. There's two words. It's about relationship, a relationship, and it's about a lifestyle. It's about a relationship, and it's about a lifestyle. First of all, it's about a relationship, which means righteousness is being right with God. It's being right with God. It's a position. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by, that is by faith. In the gospel, that's a kind of a churchy word. We, you know, we don't use it so much anymore. There's gospel quartets and gospel this and gospel that. It's an old English term that just simply means good news. The good news is righteousness has been revealed. And here's, here's what makes it good news. From God. It's from God. It starts with God. God is righteous and it comes from him. You don't have to make yourself righteous before God. You don't have to make yourself righteous to God. He does the work. He makes that relationship with he and you right. It's up to him to do that. So it's, a, it's about a relationship with him that he takes the ownership for and he hands it down to us as a gift. Secondly, it's about a lifestyle, living right as God intends. It's about being in right relationship and it's about living right as God intends. So it means that, that it's both a position and a practice. Here's 1 John 2.29 out of the New Living to, um, to, um, Translation. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that that we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. Those who do what so the righteousness is is living this this rightness. Proverbs twelve twenty eight says, "In the way of righteousness, there's life. Along that path is immortality." Think of think of righteousness as as a there's a way of righteousness. There's a there's a path of righteousness. That leads to life. There's a, there's a way to travel that just doesn't go round and round and round and round and round, but it leads somewhere, and where it leads is life. There's a, there's a path of righteousness to take. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of trails. There's a lot of paths. There's a lot of roads that go out there. But there is one path that is the best possible way of living. It's the best way to live, to have a blessed life, a blessed home, a blessed marriage, 
whatever, because it, it takes what the creator God has intended for us. Life is all about our purpose comes from him and living for him and with him. And it's, it's crazy, really. It's senseless to think, yeah, God, you created me. I believe that. You set me on this earth. But I'm going to live my life any way I want to. And, and most of us do that. We, we just go round and round and round very fast pace. And we're like the Indianapolis 500. We travel as fast as we can for 500 miles and end up right where we started. Round and round and round and round and round. But there is a way, this, this path of righteousness that leads to life. Life at its best. Life at its fullest. Life that's blessed. Life that is fulfilled. And that path leads to immortality. That path leads to heaven. So when it's over and said and done, not only have you lived the best possible life that you can possibly live by living up right with God the way he intended it, but at the end, it leads to heaven. It's, it's like God says, you've, you've, you've followed me this whole time. Let me just tell you, because of our relationship, you follow me on into eternity. And in our culture, we want to live our life the only way we want to live it all the time and then just follow him into eternity. And those two are connected more than, than we like to admit today. So let me just give you three quick facts about righteousness, about what God does for us. Some of this is very basic to some of you and some of you. It may be the first time that you really put it together about God making us righteous before him. It's easy in my head to just go with the ABCs. The first one is this. We need to admit that we can't make ourselves righteous. We, we can't obtain righteousness on our own. And we need it. That there's a gap between what, who God is and where he wants us to be. And so we have to admit, I need help. Last week was, blessed are those who are spiritually impoverished. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who, are, who know they need help. If you go to a 12-step program, what's number one step? Realize you got a problem. Admit you got a problem. You're never going to get through this thing. You're never going to get healed if you can't first admit that you have a problem, that you have an issue with your addiction or your hurt or whatever the habit that you're dealing with. Admit that you, that you need help. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There's not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. So if you're sitting here thinking, I'm the first, I'm the first person that I've never sinned and I'm righteous, I'm going to make it all. You, <laughs> let me tell you about the 12-step program again. You may need to visit that because what you're smoking is not getting you there. <laughs> you are going to be the very first righteous. I remember having a conversation with somebody one time and they said, uh, um, yeah, if, they asked me, if you, can, if you keep the Ten Commandments, if you keep the Ten Commandments, will you get to heaven by just keeping the Ten Commandments? I said, man, I, I never really thought about that. Um, I suppose. I suppose if you've always kept the Ten Commandments, I, I guess. I'm not sure theologically I can get there, but I don't know what you would, if God would look at you and go, yeah, you've kept every commandment. And then I just asked him this. Uh, so what are the Ten Commandments? Can you, like, repeat them to me? He got two. Something about not killing and don't, you're not supposed to have adultery. Okay. There's eight more. You're, you're telling me you're going to keep the Ten Commandments and you don't even know the Ten Commandments. You can't, even, you can't even rattle off what the Ten Commandments are. And you're going to tell me that you've kept them enough to, to be righteous. So how many have you broken? Have you ever broken one? How many times have you broken it? And where's the cutoff? 
You can break that four times, but not eight times, or you can break it a hundred times, but not 500 times. You tell me, where is it? Because if you have a holy judge that's going to look at you, how many times before you get a passing grade into that? Because you're not going to make it. In fact, in Romans 3.22, it says the righteousness, uh, it says, there, Romans 3.22, therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Through the Ten Commandments, through the laws of God, we recognize, I need help. i I got to admit, I can't make myself right. I cannot live this life on my own. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some of us are better off than others. Some of us are more righteous than others. Some of us are, this is bad English, but gooder than others. <laughs> but we all fall short. It'd be like if you decide California, San Diego is, is earth, Hawaii is heaven, and we're, we're all going to swim to heaven. I tell you, I, I can't make it past the breakers. I'm done. I, I, I can't even stand in the sand now. I, won't get in. I, I'd be, I would be out quick. You, you wouldn't have to be a really good swimmer or in really good shape to swim farther. than Some of you might be phenomenal swimmers. You might swim for a mile or five miles or ten. There might be an Olympic swimmer that can go 20 miles, 50 miles. But I promise you what, no one is getting to Hawaii swimming. Doesn't matter, you might swim better than me, or I might swim better than you, or you might swim better than a terrorist, or Hitler, or whatever, but you're not swimming to Hawaii. We all fall short. And to admit that I need help is the first thing. Then to believe that God sent Jesus to pay for our sins so I can be declared righteous. Romans 3.22 says, the righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. He's done a work for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That position is a gift that in him, through him, we become righteousness of God. Then the little C is confess. I accept by faith what God did for me and I confess him as my Savior and my Lord. Confess is, is something that we speak, but it's more than it's, it's a heart thing. It's a surrender. It's a confession. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. When you confess, it's the thing we used to call is repentance. You repent, which means more than feeling sorry for your condition or feeling sorry for your sin or feeling sorry that you've not done enough good or you fall short. Repentance is not an emotion. Repentance is a, is a behavior. Repentance is a turning around. Repentance is saying, I was going this way, but I'm not going to go that way anymore. I'm not going to go my own way. I'm going to go... God's way. I'm going to accept the gift that he has for me, that he gives me, righteousness, and I'm going to walk in the path of righteousness. I'm going to pursue righteousness. I'm going to, I'm going to hunger and I'm going to thirst for righteousness. I'm going to let him be the Lord. Let him call the direction. I'm going to let his standards be my standards. I'm going to let his heart be my heart. What pleases his heart is what will please my heart. What breaks his heart is what will break my heart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fashion my life, my relationships, 
my children, my home, my family on him. I could go this way, but I'm going that way instead. And when you start to live that way, you start to catch a hold of what it means to hunger and thirst after his righteousness. He's given you, you become his righteousness, and then you walk in that way. Now, most of us, our problem is our, our appetite changes. And it, it sometimes needs, needs to be redirected. We need to, we need to remind ourselves because our appetite can fool us. Every now and again when Lori and I will go out to, to eat somewhere, so what, do you, what do you feel like eating? What would you like? Do you want Mexican? Which I'm always going, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Italian, Mediterranean, Chinese. What do you, what do you feel like eating? What are you hungry for? I'm going to ask you that same question today. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? Because what you hunger for makes all the difference about where you end up, about what your family looks like, about what your home looks like. When you hunger for righteousness, you'll be filled, you'll be blessed. Sometimes we lose our appetite completely. That's how you know there's something wrong spiritually. If you have no appetite for God, if you have no appetite for righteousness, spiritually there's something wrong. Our, our second son, Richard, um, who, who comes here, had his appendix taken out Thursday night. Had appendicitis. And um, that was a traumatic thing, which adds to the watching grandchildren, his kids, and then watching Jared's kids. And so pray for Lori especially. But, um, well, we loved them. I mean, those, it's, it's wonderful to watch those. They're, they're great kids, and, and um, we're just old. But anyway, um, I was picking Richard up to take him home on Friday night, and, and uh, I said, what, how are you feeling? He goes, ah, I'm a little painful, but... So what so what'd you eat today? He said, well, first just liquids, and that was horrible. And, and then he said, for lunch, I had cream of wheat, cream of wheat and yogurt. And I looked at him like, when's the last time you had cream of wheat? I mean, cream of wheat. Multiple meal, maybe, meal, but cream of wheat. When's the last time you had cream of wheat? And he goes, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I'm get to have something a little more solid here pretty soon. And uh, I said, well, when, when did you eat last? And he said, uh, Tuesday I tried to have some eggs, but uh, I, mean, I just couldn't eat anything. I mean, for days I was going like, oh, ooh, ooh. Here's the funny thing. We had to convince Richard to go into the hospital. Yeah, it's probably your appendix, buddy. Get in there. Well, yeah, but it might go. No, you haven't eaten since Tuesday. This is not a dough family thing. We don't go <laughs> days without eating. You, this is not normal. This is not in our gene pool. We're, when, when, they're, when you're not hungry, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Your body's telling you something. There's something going on. When you're not spiritually hungry, there's something probably wrong. And you need to go back to the ABC stuff. But what are you hungry for? What's your, what's your appetite tell you? Not only do we, do we eat junk sometimes and go after the wrong thing, but here's, here's what I, I hate about religion and, and what's so easy to fall into. We substitute sometimes this passion for God's righteousness. We substitute legalism, which is a rules. You can't do this. You, you can only do that. Do this, don't do that. 
You ought and you ought not. You should and you should not. So that following Jesus becomes just this list that we have. In the New Testament, those people that just follow those kind of lists ticked Jesus off like crazy. They were the Pharisees. All it was about hungering and thirsting for righteousness was on the list of rules that they kept. And if you didn't keep their rules, there was something wrong with you. And Jesus said, here I am. I'm the son of God standing in your midst and you're missing me. You're missing God in your midst because all you can do is see your rules. And sometimes that's all we think about hungering. If I can just get the right rules down, it's not about rules. Rules without a relationship leads to rebellion. And some of us that have grown up in the church know what that's all about. When all you think it's just is rules. The other thing that we sometimes get into is, is just this, this lukewarm Christianity, cultural Christianity. We, you know, we're born in America. We call ourselves Christians. Um, that means we're not whatever other religion you want to think about. Um, we, we, we say Merry Christmas. You know, we believe that you should be, don't take Christ out of Christmas. And we, we all, but, but there's no, it, it's just flat. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's no relationship. There's no righteousness there. It's just lukewarm. That was what else ticked Jesus off in the New Testament. He said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. You're lukewarm. I want to just, bleh, I want to spew you out of my mouth. There's no room for legalism. There's no room for this lukewarm stuff. What is there room for? There's room for if you could hunger and thirst passionately for righteousness, for this, this relationship, and for this path to walk on. Blessed are you. You'll be filled with that. Here's the key, I think. To not just be a Christian family or a Christian couple, but to be a Christ-centered home, a Christ-centered marriage, a Christ-centered individual where you hunger and thirst for Christ. So how do we keep that going? How, how do we... How do we hunger, and thirsty, and keep that appetite going. Um, I want to give you three real quick. I'm about out of time. I want to give you just three quick things that, that we've done as parents. And, uh, and I'm, not, I'm not saying you have to do it, but you might consider doing this. Um, the, the thing that, that Lori and I wanted to, to see with, with our children is, and I have our children see, is that God loves them, he's a loving God, and that he's approachable, that they, that they can talk to him, they can have a relationship with him, and that he's involved in their lives and in our lives. If, if, they, can, if they can get their mind around, God loves me, and, and as a dad, I know full well that, that many people have trouble with a relationship with God the Father because of lousy relationships with their dad. And I vowed, I, I will not be, I will do the best I can to not be the barrier between my kids, not, not loving God because I'm such a lousy dad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the best model dad I can be in my own. And not, I can't be perfect, but I'm going to do the best I can. Because I, their love for God probably has a big connection with me as dad. And so I, I, want, to, I want to do that. I want them to know that God is involved in our lives and in their lives and approachable and involved. So here's the thing, a couple things. Involve God in our, in our daily life and talk. 
in my mind, God ought to be just natural. It ought to be, it ought to just make sense. Some people can get so goofy with, with God and spirituality and religion, and it's like, it's like, you know, the twilight zone. And, and there, are, there are supernatural things that happen. There are spiritual things that happen, and, and I love that when it does. But there's just some daily routine of life that it just makes sense. Why, why wouldn't anybody want to just serve God? And so in our conversations with the kids, and Lori's a lot better than this than me. I, I can speak in front of people, but then in a day, I'm, you know, she, would, she would have conversations with our kids all the time about God. It wasn't just, hey, wasn't this a beautiful sunset? It's like, look like God's given us. You know, I mean, what a beautiful sunset God's given us. And she'd talk, God, she's talked to him about the Lord long be, our kids long before I did. We just had conversations. We, we, we prayed all the time. I don't know if, you know, today people, they kind of fall away from even having grace at lunch. You know, for us, it was pray for our meals, pray at the end of the day, because it's just a chance to connect with God. What did God do today in your life? What what God do for us? We're so blessed because of what God's done. God, God's given us diamondback tickets through so-and-so, but in that, aren't we blessed to be able to have friends like that? Isn't it God, you know, just, just daily conversation so that our kids don't grow up thinking, well, God is Sunday morning from, you know, 10 o'clock to noon uh, once a month, maybe, but, and, they, and God's not something we just compartmentalize. He's, he's every day in our life. That's, that's the appetite, the culture of our family is we have an appetite for God on a, on a daily basis. Second thing, we made church non-negotiable. Of course, it's kind of tough because I'm a pastor, so it'd be nice if the family comes, but I'm convinced that church ought to be non-negotiable. Here's the God who, who sends his son to die on the cross that we might be made the righteousness of God, that we might be able to live life to the fullest, that we might be able to live for eternity and to be able to go on a regular basis to church and worship him and thank him and praise him, to learn from the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, the Bible says, hearing by the word of God. The word of God in first, or 2 Timothy 3.16 says it's good for teaching and reproof and correcting. And then this little phrase, training in righteousness. So if we're going to have... Hunger and thirst is a family. It, to me, it just, it just makes sense to be in church all the time. It, it, I don't, you know, there's always reasons to miss. But for us, it just didn't happen. We were on vacation. We, we would go. We, and and I, I know your, your lifestyles may be different, but I, I cannot put over emphasis. Let me give you an example. Are you okay? Because if you need to leave, go ahead. But I, I, I know. Um, of somebody that's not a pastor, somebody that, that is, is a key leader in the church we planted over in North Scottsdale. And we were at their dinner, having dinner in Flagstaff with them this summer. And they said, we can do it Tuesday, but we won't be getting up there till Tuesday because we can't miss church on Sunday. I go, whoa. And, and when we had dinner, I asked him about it. And he said, you know, our, 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 our kids have gone to church the whole time. Our youngest is now in high school. He, he hates to miss youth group. He does not want to miss youth group. And so we're making sure if we're here, we're there with him because we don't want to have to him go by himself and that kind of thing. And this is the guy, and I think I've mentioned this a long time. This is the guy, when we first planted the church, came into my office and said, Don, I'm so-and-so. I just want you to know there's no hope for me. None. I have, I have no inclination that God ought to do anything for my life. 
I've blown it. I've messed up. I just want my, my wife and my children to make it to heaven. So I want to get them straightened out in the church. I'm going to get them situated. Then I'm leaving. I'm leaving the church. I'm leaving my wife. I'm leaving my family. But I want it all. And I looked at him and said, you're an idiot. I'm not the most compassionate pastor at times. You're an idiot. You think they're gonna? Do you think that's gonna get them secure? I'll tell you what. If you want, if you want to have no worries about your your children, you take them to church. You get involved in that church, and you be in that church until they're too old to know any different. Then, if you want to leave, but he, you know, don't come to me for permission for that. So he he did that, and he was in church all the time. He started teaching Sunday school. That's, how, that's the great thing about church plants. We, we'll take anybody to teach, you know. And, uh, and we put him in charge of another guy. And, and this, is, this was his knowledge. We started a small group, and we were in, in his home. And uh, I, I said, hey, turn to Genesis such and such. We're going to look at the life of Abraham. And, and he goes, where's Genesis? I thought he was joking. Everybody knows where Genesis is. I mean, Take a guess. The first book in the Bible, you know. I thought he was joking. I, he didn't know where Genesis was. So we get him teaching children. When we finally got enough teachers where he didn't have to teach anymore, we went to him and said, hey, you, you get a reprieve if you want. You don't have to teach anymore. And he goes, I'll quit learning. He goes, I'm learning along with my kids. I, I thought it was my great sermons. It wasn't my, he didn't know anything what I was saying. It was wah, blah, 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 blah. Where's Genesis. He's sitting there trying to teach the children, and it's going sinking into him. Till now, he's a key leader in the church. He he's he's uh, and, and he doesn't want to miss, and his family doesn't want to miss, and his marriage is strong in his life because they made church non-negotiable, and he as a dad led the way, and it, and it changed everything. It filled his life where there was emptiness. It blessed his home. Last thing, bring fun into the aspect of of serving the Lord. It ought to be fun to go to church. It ought to be fun to serve. That doesn't mean everything's carnival time, but it ought to just be fun. And, and as pastors, we were really concerned that our kids had a good experience in church because a lot of pastors' kids don't. And our, our kids, in my opinion, had, must have had too good of a time in church because they all started working in the church now. And I'm like, I didn't, I, I, you know, we should have shielded them from, <laughs> from some of the fun and let them know about reality more than this. But it's fun. What do you do? What do you make it fun to, to be together and that kind of thing? I heard of one family, we never, this is before, this is after our kids already grew up, but I thought it was a great idea. They did a thing called popcorn prayer, where as a family at the end of the day, a big old bowl of popcorn, and you take a handful of popcorn, you can eat it right before you prayed, and then while you're praying, you could sneak three pieces of popcorn out during the prayer, and then when you're done, you could have another handful. And they'd go around in the family and make kind of fun of just popcorn prayer. There's, there's all kinds of different, different things to do. To make. How do you make prayer fun? How do you make church fun? We, we take people, we took our kids on, you know, like trunk or treat kind of stuff, the you mom things that you guys are doing, uh, mission trips all over the place because it was fun to do that kind of thing. We took them to Mexico as young kids to help, help do stuff. And, and I remember even when they were, in, they were at high school at Scottsdale Christian, and there was a group of parents, and they were going to get ready to go to Mexico from the, from the school, and they were all concerned about sending their kids to Mexico because it was so dangerous. And I don't usually speak up at those kind of times, but I stood up, raised my hand, and I said, I'm more concerned in Scottsdale 
with your kids never going outside the borders of this, of this hollowed city that we call Scottsdale and experiencing. I'm more, I'm more concerned what happens to them staying here than what happens to them going and finding out how the rest of the world lives. And, um, and there, Jared will tell you, he, where, he, where he got his call to ministry was in Mexico doing a, doing a mission trip, which broke my heart because I wanted him to be a baseball player minister. Lori and I often just go, where did we go wrong with that guy? He could have, but have fun with it. You say, well, John, you're a pastor. You, you, we, we, can't, we can never have, we can never have that. And I, I want to I say, yeah, you can. You can have what God wants you to have if you'll pursue him. If you'll pursue him. You, you can have what God wants you to have. Well, how do I, can you start out by making church a non-negotiable? Can he start out by, by making it fun to serve God and to seek God? Can he start out and say, you know, we're going we're gonna to daily, on a daily life kind of thing as much as we can. Bring God into our life. It's not going to just be compartmentalized. And then your appetite starts to build. And when you start to hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Your life, your marriage, your home will be blessed. You bow your heads with me. We're going to take communion as we close this time, and Tim's going to come up and lead us in a time. And as, you, as we take communion, you go to the table, and you take the bread and the cup, and you can sit back down and just listen to the song and, and take the, the elements at your, own, at your own pace. But that cup and that, and that bread represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And when you, when you take the elements, it becomes a part of you. And my challenge to you is when you take the elements, it's not just legalism, it's not half-hearted, it's not just traditionalism, but it's you saying, I don't want to be just a Christian family. I don't want to be just a Christian couple. I don't want to be just a Christian person. I want to be Christ-centered. I want my family and my home to be Christ-centered. So Jesus, we take this bread, this cup, be the center of my life. Be the center of our marriage. Be the center of our home. Lord, help us as we follow you and as we serve you to develop an appetite that makes us hunger and long for the relationship that you've given us to blossom. Lead us in the paths of righteousness. Train us in the way of righteousness. And lead us in the path to immortality. Jesus' name.